Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center podcast feed, and this particular episode is Cues of the Force. The Q stands for questions, and Force is the word Force from the film franchise Star Wars. Anyway, I'm Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm Ken Napsack. I'm just here for these intros. I've got A's for the Q's. I've got <laughs> I've got the force in my veins. Let's do it. Uh, soon it will be questions. Oh, the force. Uh, there'll be a 
Entirely different vibe. Anyway, we want to let you know that as always, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash four center. Over 180,000 titles, 80,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. We are continuing to recommend Path to Deceit by Tessa Grattan and Justina Ireland, the beginning of phase two of high republic if you want to download your free audiobook today you can do it by going to audibletrial.com slash four center one more time that's audibletrial.com slash four center for your free audio book and uh as we're looking at a decent amount of expenses uh for a wonderful lucky trip to london for Star Wars Celebration, uh, a gentle reminder that downloading a free audiobook helps us massively, and it is free. <laughs> it's totally free, and you can opt out after. Yes, 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 indeed. Exactly. So that's uh, that's our, our, our first A, our audible A, but we have a second A. Ken, do you want to share our second A? Oh, we all got a second A, and it's an ask. It's our current <laughs> ask. It's our current ask. And uh, as a lot of you know, over the last couple of weeks, we are uh, building our YouTube presence. Uh, you can make jokes about now, but no, it's it's still good. It's still going. We got some great things we're working on, including our, our new series. It's YouTube only called Figure Fights. The first episode will be dropping very soon here in February. And we want you to be a part of the growth on YouTube and help us grow. Yes, that's right. It's a symbiote relationship here. Symbiotic relationship, as Kenobi would remind us. Uh, we would love to have you uh, subscribe if you'd like to. If you haven't already, we're trying to reach 7,000 subscribers. We're inching closer and closer. And once you get those numbers, it starts becoming easier to get the other numbers. That's how YouTube works, unfortunately. So we appreciate all of your support over the years. And if you'd like to uh, make that jump with us to the video side on uh, some new special shows, do so by subscribing on YouTube. There you go. That's right. And if you're subscribed on YouTube, you'll be all ready for our next live Q&A, which is this Friday, January 27th, 3 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, you like Q's, you like A's. Well, this is all about Q's and A's. It's also just kind of a fun hangout uh, that we've been doing for the last several months uh, where we get to talk Star Wars, uh, sometimes a sip of beverage of some kind. And this month in particular is going to be different and special and fun uh, because we have uh, some reveals from Gentle Giant that uh, uh, some wonderful things sent to us that we're going to share. It's going to be a Q&A and a show and tell, a Q&A and an S&T. <laughs> that is right. I'm so excited to finally uh, open those up. We'll reveal what on that day? Yeah, exactly. But with all that out of the way, we're going to get into our cues. We have two uh, questions from Twitter and two from our patrons on Patreon. We go first, as always, to Twitter. And this one comes to us from The Sabersmith. The Sabersmith says, what ship would you want as your personal vehicle? And uh, I'm very charmed because of the way The Sabersmith uh, made the choice to write this out. Uh, the letters of each, uh, the first letter of each word is capitalized. So not only is it a really fun Star Wars question, but it sounds like a novelty song from the 50s. What ship would you want is your personal vehicle, uh, the wonderful way this is written out. Yeah, I was going to say song title indeed to me. Uh, <laughs> great. And, and it's, I got confused for a second. We have a question coming up, you'll all understand, but I thought the Sabersmith asked that other question and for, I forgot, I got confused for a second. You'll see why. Yeah, we know we got a Saber question. We got a ship question, but the Sabersmith sent us a ship question, which is a great tongue twister. Uh, but anyway, to the question, Ken, what ship would you want as your personal vehicle? So my answer is 
pretty direct and easy. The Razor Crest. All right. And Ooh. yeah. Uh, and everyone knows, yeah, I'm a Y-Wing fan, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, of course I am. I like N1 Starfighters. Uh, of course, of course that would be, be good. But I took this question as this is your vehicle, right? This is the, what you're in the galaxy and you're traveling around the galaxy. You're living that nomad lifestyle going from system to system. The Millennium Falcon, of course, is a particularly, uh, you know, good ship for that kind of travel. But I really think, and I've now I'll say this, I have two answers, but my gut reaction, Razor Quest, uh, it might be the most perfect solo, no, no pun intended, travel van in space. I grew up with, at one point <laughs> in my life, we had two separate VW vans, Volkswagen vans as a kid. My dad collected uh, VW vans back in the day, no longer does. Um, and, that, and, and that's a Razor Crest. No matter where you slice it, it's a it's a space VW van, and you can sleep in it. Pop that tent up, you can get around. You got some armaments on. It's it's a little faster than a Volkswagen van. This I can tell you that. Uh, it's got a nice, comfy cockpit. I love the design. I absolutely love the Razor Crest. Yeah, the, the Razor Crest is a really, really good choice. I believe there are shots that expose that uh, Din's toilet is just kind of out in the open. That I would need to change. <laughs> Yeah, but if it's just you and you and your soul, you're okay. <laughs> I at least need a curtain. I need to hide from myself. Maybe I need to work through some issues. I don't know. That's that's the only downside to me of the Razor Crest. I need a modified one with a yeah. bathroom door. Um, yeah, that's a really great selection. My mind went to the Falcon because mm -hmm. of the familiarity. And I think the, the fact that the Falcon is this great combination of it's kind of a racing car, right? It's, it's so much more powerful than it looks on the outside and all this great stuff. But then we know it so well in terms of kind of the the living space, right? The the common area, yep. <laughs> the bedroom, the where, where you play games, the uh, the the kitchenette that Han in, installed uh, as a fumbling, poorly received wedding gift uh, to Leia. All that great stuff. Um, but kind of wanted to go somewhere else too. So like some of my favorite ships are, you know, the X-Wing, the uh, Delta seven Jedi interceptor. Uh, mm -hmm. But those are like, those are like the world's or the galaxy's absolutely coolest smart cars of like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like 75% of the time be great. Cause you just, you, you don't need to get around, uh, but with any, nothing but yourself and your droid. Right. But then there's few times for me, like I need to haul some props or some set pieces. <laughs> or some in-laws like yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i realized i needed something bigger so this is strangely what i went with ken mm -hmm. the mandalorian gauntlet fighter um Ooh, it's one yeah. of my favorite ship designs uh mm -hmm. it's mostly from animation we've seen it parked in live action in the mandalorian and from the mandalorian season three trailer we're gonna see it live action full action very excited mm -hmm. um it's it looks super cool right it's like yeah. super really? pointy daggery you know streamlined great uh, amazing i looked it up on wikipedia there's space for up to 24 people <laughs> Ooh, it's a it's that. a party yeah. bus right yeah. okay but then the other thing i was really looking at if, if you're you're trying to be a little bit realistic mm -hmm. is parking um and the fact mm -hmm. that the mandalorian gauntlet fighters wings fold up it's so easy to park, right? You don't have to be making judgment room <laughs> about yeah, the yeah. room for the wings. Fold up. He's got a, a very simple, uh, small outline there. So that's what I'm going with. I love that answer. That's um, that's a fascinating ship that that I think I overlook sometimes, not just because it's animation, kids, but just I don't spend a lot of time in, in the Mando culture in my fandom, right? But mm -hmm. now, I, now I have to, and I have, thanks to Clone Wars and, and Filoni and team. So, yeah, I think that's a great answer there. 
Yeah, it's such a cool looking ship, and it, it looks small, but twenty four people, a big old party on yeah. Joseph's Gauntlet fighter. Yeah, well, I had a backup choice because I Ooh. thought there was a good shot that you might have the Razor Crest as well. Ooh. You are a fan of the ship, so I thought. Keeping in that vibe, traveling around by yourself. Because, look, I have some questions. People have made jokes after Mando, Dinjarin grabbed the N1. Um, but I, I think they're jokes, but also great questions of, well, how's that going to work? If he if he <laughs> were to remain a bounty hunter, how do you carry the bounties? It's different than the Razor Crest. You got Grogu in the bubble, but now we see Grogu in the cockpit as well. Like, how do you, do you have to always look for a travel lodge? Can you, you can't pull off the side of the road and sleep. Like, I don't know how it works. Um, so I, I, that's why I want the Razor Crest. But I was like, in the same vein, on the off chance that you had the Razor Crest, uh, it's not as cool. It's not as sleek. It was originally going to be called a T-Wing, but it's the MG-100 Star Fortress. Ooh. Convert that to an RV. Bring some friends along. And I think you got yourself a slow but steady ship to get around the galaxy. Yeah, and you, you convert some of those bomb racks to store your uh, your food and drink. You got, you know, uh, frozen burritos. Oh, yeah. <laughs> going into the wine cellar, but it's your ship. Yeah. You got bottles of whiskey, and you can lower them. Oh, yeah. Going to those. You know, it is Star Wars. You got to probably keep some uh, armaments there. You probably have some lasers. But you go down to that uh, the, the bubble uh, that the great Paige Tico was in, and you just kind of write some poems while you stir out in the, the vastness of space. Oh yeah, that that's a that's a reading nook right there, right? That bubble, that's for reading. Oh, that's exactly it. So, <laughs> you know, again, uh, I, I probably assume I'm traveling alone, but you've got the gauntlet uh, fighter with 24 uh, friends with you. I'll, I'll throw some friends here as well, and we can have. Uh, I bet that converts just nicely into a. You know, got some bunk beds. It's a good tour. Like you could be a, a space rock band, and, and that could be a tour bus. Oh yeah, I could also probably just use it as a storage space. I was like, oh man. <laughs> Or <laughs> mm-hmm. all my MG100 Star Fortress toys I have. Yes, exactly. I could store my Razor Crest in my Gauntlet fighter. Then <laughs> we'd be all set. That's a very fun question. Thank you, Sabersmith. And we're going to move on from a Sabersmith to a Saber question. This one comes to us from James Pasqualucci. Uh, James says, "Hello there, Force Center. To ask this question, I must follow in Ken's footsteps and make." A Game of Thrones reference. Jamie Lannister tells Brienne that the best swords have names. Swords like Needle and Oathkeeper both have names that reflect their wielders. Arya's unassuming but proficient nature and Brienne's honor-bound nature, respectively. This is an element used not just in Game of Thrones, but many fantasy stories I love. All this is to ask, do you think there was or will be a Jedi who named their saber and why? If this weapon is their life, and in a way, living via the kyber crystal, why not name it? Ooh, I love this question, Ken. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to throw out there just at the top that uh, I feel like the closest thing in Star Wars to this, to naming your sword in modern canon, is the Darksaber. Mm-hmm. Um, that's definitely, you know, a blade that has a name and has been passed down the way swords often are in fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like that we don't fully know the story that... Did, you know, the Mandalor- the first Mandalorian Jedi who forged the Darksaber, did they name it the Darksaber? Or is that a name that uh, grew in legend? You know, mm. that's a thing that we don't know yet. If that Mandalorian Jedi kind of broke with tradition is like, I made it. <laughs> yeah. And walks out like, this is the Darksaber, everybody. Or if in legend, it became known as the Darksaber. 
Ooh, by by its act, uh, by by its acts and reputation. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Do you have a do you have a take on that a headcanon that whether you think uh, it was forged with that name or whether the I, name grew up around its legend? I could see it's what Tar Vizsla does it right. So I I see I see both sides where you know because he's a he's a Mandalorian Jedi, which it's that itself is unique, especially at the time. Uh, you might say, look, this is this is the name; it represents me, but also what happens, the results and, and, and Mando Jedi wars and maybe the saber gain that kind of reputation of, oof, well, that dark saber, it, it, tur- it turned things real bad around these parts. And maybe that's how it got the name. And I almost would prefer that. Yeah. I think that's more interesting to me that it, a legend grew up around it and the whispers mm-hmm. of the dark saber and what it means. Yeah. And it, it, it's so much more of the Mandalorian culture to name yeah. a weapon, right? Din's great, you know, oh. kind of jokey, but absolutely true line in the Mandalorian of, you know, religions are, our, or, or uh, weapons are our religion. Um, you know, that they would, that the Mandalorian culture would name it is really interesting. Absolutely. So let's get into this because it is to me about Jedi culture that Jedi don't name their blades. Uh, what do you think is a reason that, that the Jedi might do this? Why do you think they don't do this? Give me your thoughts. Yeah, I think I went to the the don't. I went negative uh, first here before getting to uh, James' uh, direct question. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're, you're probably with me here, Joseph. Lightsabers are obviously considered an extension of the Jedi. The kyber crystal we know is kind of almost alive in a way. Calls mm-hmm. to a history, it connects. There's a lot of that stuff that we've gained over the years that we know more than we did growing up. So that's kind of cool. But I think there could be issues of attachment to the blade or perhaps even too much separation, if you name it, right? Like, mm-hmm. no, no, you're supposed to be attached to the blade. So naming it Bob the Blade means you consider it different than you. And that doesn't work. <laughs> you have to be more flowing and connect with it. Um, and, and you know, maybe if, if it's if it's Bob the Blade, not a name I'm truly suggesting, but you might consider it something else, something, you know, something, a weapon that you wield as opposed to it being an extension of you. Uh, and your life, as Obi Wan would say. So I, I think I start with all those kind of reasons, and I'm, I'm sure you'll you'll dive in deeper or echo those thoughts there. But but all that to say, and I'll we'll answer James' questions after I pitch back to you here. But yes, I would love to have a rebellious rule bending Jedi be like, nope, I'm going to name a saber. What y'all think about that Jedi Council? Yeah, no, yeah, I love that, and I definitely wanted to, to discuss that. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll we'll get the negativity up, uh, out of the way about the the why not. And maybe there's some positivity in the negativity. Mm-hmm. I love the way that you're saying it of it is an extension of the Jedi. So mm-hmm. why create that separation? Even if it is out of uh, love and respect for the Kyber crystal, why mm-hmm. separate it from yourself? Mm-hmm. I also think that a reason that the Jedi would maybe not want to get into naming weapons is because there can be positive examples of um, of it building identity. I think uh, James's examples of the characters from from Game of Thrones mm-hmm. it's, it is building their identity. But I also yeah. think that there's a possibility that it's about myth building, right? Mm-hmm. It's about bestowing even more power and ego onto the weapon, right? Uh, which is it, it's it's it, to me it's dabbling with a kind of vanity, you know, to walk into the room yeah. and say, uh, "I am Plo Koon," you know. I am a servant of the light, uh, and here is my blade, <laughs> yeah. the, you know, the light maker. Uh, like, yeah. like, okay, cool. Did, did you mean well by that? But but it, it starts to uh, create this sort of um, aura around the weapon and the importance yeah. of the weapon as opposed to it being, like you said so well, an extension of the Jedi who are mm-hmm. in touch with their identity 
but are also wanting to balance having an individual identity with we're all part of the force. I'm a part of the Jedi. I'm a part of the galaxy. I'm a part of the light side. I'm a part of all these other things as well as being my own being. Yeah. There's a real vanity <laughs> yeah. in saying, you know, I, I'm Plo Koon. And this is, this is my, you know, oh, wolf's tooth. <laughs> I, want, I want this one. Uh, light, light bringer. There you go. Um, uh, which is, is Game of Thrones as well. Um, yeah, no, I was thinking that the example you know, that we finally got to see with Dooku and Tales of the Jedi, which is the old story Filoni told him of his meeting with George and a lightsaber would be put on a table by a Jedi during negotiations. It, 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 it doesn't it kind of change it if Dooku's like, yep, all right, this is Death's Whale. <laughs> <laughs> what? Like, are you, what are you here for? Uh, it does myth building or, or adding just in my, and this is maybe my point of view. And I do love swords with names. Um, uh, I'm, it's funny. I'm actually, I always have something idly in my hands while I'm talking. I'm playing with uh, sting, uh, uh, Frodo's, uh, <laughs> um, I have a tiny little four, four inch figure. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like it, 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 it turns into a weapon to me more than part of the whole, Jedi justice and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, and I also think, you know, you and I have, have both talked about growing up in uh, cultures, in families uh, that have a, a fine balance on sort of self-promotion, right? Of, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of um, you know, I think I, I grew up in culture and in, in some family stuff that's like, you do something awesome and mm-hmm. then let other people decide whether it's awesome. You just go be your best self in, in if it is worthy of, of recognition and celebration, other people will do that, right? Yes, and I don't think that's an. Uh, I don't think that's entirely healthy in the real world. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't need to go down down that uh, that road and uh, <laughs> do self counseling on the podcast. But I think from the Jedi perspective, there's this like we're not here for accolades. Uh, mm-hmm. We're here to serve other people, and yeah. I feel like by naming something, it's asking other people it's telling other people they should celebrate your weapon you should know its name it, it yes. it's legend is important and you should know it it feels like kind of telling other people how it, to receive your blade I'll, I'll go to some real world stuff and i'm kind of giggling because I, I think i may have I've, I've addressed this maybe on my own personal podcast but maybe i've addressed it here when we talk about nicknames i don't like when someone i had this i had a true i hired a, a, a guy at my old job and I'll say his name is Steve. And he was like, but you can call me Cap. And I said, <laughs> welcome aboard, Steve. Like, like, I don't know what you did. To, you haven't earned that to me, <laughs> through to me yet. Like, I, I get real tough. Like, don't tell me your nickname, Captain America. Like, like whatever, you're Steve. Um, so I, I, it's, it's, it's not as a one-to-one, but I'm laughing because I kind of think that applies to this of like, you walk in the room, you're like, here's, here's Death's Whale, like, to time out, buddy. Like you haven't done. Who are you? Like I don't. I don't know your story. Yeah, and I, I think that's what's so fascinating about this whole conversation is there's the, there's this balance between uh, build. Everybody has the right to build their own identity, and if the 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 weapon is an extension of yourself, and you're you're building that identity, there there's some positives there that we're going to talk about. But then there's that also like that that stepping into telling other people what to think. Like if I if if I was working with somebody and they're, they're like, okay, uh, my nickname is greatest ever. Like, um, yeah. I want to respect your choices, but I feel like you're also infringing on my choice to decide whether or not you're the greatest ever. Yeah. And again, like with you, like you are Joseph, not Joe. We've had that conversation here. Like mm-hmm. that, if that's not like, well, you haven't earned Joseph from me, but like what you're talking about is exactly that. There's, there's some kind of 
self-made myth around some of that stuff. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I'm with you on it. I, yeah, I, complex yeah. thoughts about there, there's yeah. this line between, yeah, declaring identity, believing in yourself, mm-hmm. telling people, I believe that I'm good and I believe that you should, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, treat me with <laughs> yeah. respect treat me with, you know, uh, assume that I am competent. Uh, but I also have a burden to prove that to other people. I can't just come in and, and give myself <laughs> yeah, 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 the, yeah. the greatest ever pin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we went to some wonderful spots already here, but I'm with, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. Complicated stuff, complicated stuff. Uh, but let's get into the positivity of it. I do think that James has a great point that I could see wonderful Jedi tales where it is not about ego based myth building or Mm -hmm. trying to instill fear. Right. I could see a Jedi who's just like, it's my, my instinct or my culture of origin to name everything out of love and excitement. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Of, you know, uh, there's, uh, there's even that great passage in, in high Republic, right. Where, uh, the ships are all supposed to be, the Jedi right. ships are supposed to be interchangeable. You're supposed to be like, just jump in whichever one's in the hangar. We're not about possessions. Um, uh, but Bell kind of likes one in particular and kind of has a nickname for it. And you probably yeah. shouldn't. Uh, but yeah. it's so flowing from who Bell is, right? And it mm-hmm. isn't vanity or ego. Uh, so I can see a great story of a young Jedi who just like, uh, my Kyber called to me. I'm going to honor their sentience. I feel in my gut it's Winky. <laughs> my Kyber's name is Winky, so like this is my blade, Winky. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad you brought up the Bell thing. I thought that was a fascinating take on it because he also forms that bond with the, the Charhound, right? And yeah, it's with Ember the Charhound, yeah. Ember, and even that's uh, something the Jedi might be like, mm, I don't know about that, and and that's why I say some rebellious kind of rule bending Jedi because I think. We're, we are talking about some of the negative side effects, but, um, you know, attachment in itself is 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 not the problem, right? It's part of what's going on with the Jedi Order. It's, it's maybe how it grows and how you remain attached to it. I don't know. Some of the bigger stuff there. But, yeah, I, I like this idea of just like, no, no, I'm honoring this thing that I'm working with that is also of me. And you can also, maybe one of these Jedis would be like, hey, it's also fun. Okay. These yeah. are personalized weapons. No. And I like that. That's why I like Quinlan Voss in in Clone Wars. This idea that he's just a little bit more of a fun loving Jedi, and there's nothing wrong with that. So I can see you know Quinlan Voss naming his blade, you know, out of fun, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I can see lots of positives to it, uh, but I also see why the Jedi in general would be like, "Ooh, do we need to do that?" <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And look, look, if, if it was a question of uh, let jedi name their lightsabers or have the order collapse i'm sure we'd start seeing uh, blades be named right you know yeah yeah i mean because i yeah the, the the whole attachment thing is you know it's fine to be attached as long as you can let it go so you yeah. know could could jedi let go winky the blade yeah. <laughs> can you let go of winky that's the question <laughs> let go winky uh, i'm gonna throw this bonus question on top of james's uh, wonderful question if you had a lightsaber ken what would you name it uh oh man that's a good question um the the i i'd like to go even though i'm buckets of blood's not like my favorite name in high republic um uh, i'll respect to daniel jose older and his character created um I, I would like my lightsaber to be like the glow of justice some kind of oh. formal name like when you have your dog is registered for show like you have a show dog <laughs> <laughs> uh i really the glow of justice that's really mm-hmm. nice i like that um I, so i do have the lightsaber that i built at galaxy's edge back in 2019 um so i i was thinking like what would be a good name for that 
Uh, and this just popped in my head that I want my uh, lightsaber blade to be known as uh, the cautionary tale. Because um, it sounds cool. But then when you're listening to it, it's like, wait, is that is the lightsaber going to deliver a cautionary tale? Did he learn a cautionary tale by mm-hmm. using the lightsaber poorly? Yeah. There's lots of different ways to interpret it. Yeah. Yeah. That just, you know, it'd be, it, it's not unlike rebel ships names versus Imperial star destroyer names. Like you'd, you'd have, you'd know the heart of someone by their name. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think I actually said a ship's name, Lightmaker. It's uh, one of the hammerheads in Rogue One. That's right. Uh, yes, it is. Yeah. So anyway, with that, we are going to take a quick break. Thank you for the wonderful questions on Twitter. And in a moment, we'll be getting to our questions from our patrons on Patreon back in a moment. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah. 
And we are back to continue our cues of the force. We're going to get to some questions from our patrons on Patreon. This first one comes to us from Stephen Campbell. Stephen says, hello there, Ken and Joseph. I am a high school history teacher, and for the first time in my seven-year career, I have a class where a majority of the students like and show an interest in our favorite story in a galaxy far, far away. To incorporate my love for the franchise as well, I've used Star Wars to help explain the concepts of imperialism and fascism to my students. Additionally, while my class was learning about Napoleon Bonaparte crowning himself Emperor of France, one of my students said, that's just like Palpatine. Oh, how proud I was. George Lucas and other creators have openly acknowledged how history inspired many Star Wars concepts and plot points, such as Stormtroopers in the German SA, as well as the Battle of Endor in the Vietnam War. But I'm curious if there are any moments in the franchise where you've made your own historical connections. My personal example comes from my favorite Disney-era book, Bloodline, by Claudia Gray. If you recall, the novel dives into the workings of the New Republic and how the framers create a purposely weak government to avoid having another tyrant take control. This always makes me think of the the Articles of Confederation implemented by the Americans following the Revolutionary War to avoid having another king in both the government in action causes more issues to arise. I know Ken has consistently mentioned his love for history. The election of 1912 is a doozy. (laughs) But I'm curious where else you two have made historical connections to the Star Wars galaxy. Thanks, and may the Force be with you. Uh, Great story, great question, and I think really the burning question that comes out of this is, Ken, have you finished that book about the election of 1912 (laughs) that you've been reading for several Uh, months? I did. Thanks to Star Wars books. uh, I kept having to push that book down the road. Finally finished it, and I I just feel with with a history teacher writing this question, I suddenly felt nervous and like I had to give a book report. Uh, Though not perfect, if Teddy Roosevelt had won, it would have changed the face of politics going forward and progressive ideas would have been more accepted by Republicans. Ah! Uh, Yeah, yeah, I did finish and it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. How do you how do you feel in general? uh, This is a weird question, but I think it is uh, helps frame our conversation. How do you feel about the history education that you got in high school? Because it, it, it can be a place of as we're seeing now, and certainly mm-hmm. when I was in high school, uh, a place where, where battles are waged, right? Is yeah. history to be questioned or is it is it facts and dates and the lessons learned from these historical events are accepted, period. That's what they are. Memorize them, repeat yeah. them. Or were you, were you uh, invited to question history and analyze it from multiple perspectives? Or did you feel like you were sort of said, this is the narrative, learn it, memorize it, uh, tell it back to us. Yeah. Especially these day and age, isn't this a, a wonderfully complicated uh, question, but I think it deserves our attention and it deserves some attempted answers from all of us. I, I think it, it's a mixed bag. I, I had a great history teacher in eighth grade. Uh, his specialty was the civil war, including he was a civil war reenactor. And, and, and so we really dived into that one. Mm. Um, but some other history teachers, it was, uh, you know, I don't mean this to be completely snarky, but it's a little bit of the history is written by the victors. And mm-hmm. I think that's been the key of, yes, I've always loved history. I, I think it's fascinating and blah, blah, blah. And I love learning all aspects of it here. But I, I think the last couple of years I have become more, um, um, I don't what obsessed is a little bit of the word, but I, I'm, I'm digging to find the truth behind a lot of it. I, I do think that's, that's changed me more than any other ways. I've made, made reference of things you don't learn or didn't learn or weren't taught to, to me in little suburb, uh, Kenny up in uh, central coast, California, but the watchman did, uh, that's mm-hmm. problematic to me. And I don't think you should be afraid of it. Uh, there, there's, 
it, it, there's a great guy on, on Twitter, I forget his name. I just started following, but like he does whiteboard things where he has, you know, lessons and, it, it, you know, he, it's, it's, it, we're all constantly students, I guess. And he did a great thing. If you block out the full picture of history and you take one side of the board and you hide all these like cause and effects and, you know, riots and protests and the realities and blah, blah, blah. If you hide one side of it, it just looks like you have a great bit of history changing and growing and becoming better along the way. Mm-hmm. But if you don't cover, talk about the other side, you don't get the full picture and you don't see a lot of what you think is growth is actually reactions to uh, people trying to get more of their own rights. You know, it's just like this mm-hmm. thing that kind of goes and goes and goes. So I'm fascinated with this and continuing learning. I, I'm not an expert in any of this. Um, I watch a great history uh, based YouTube channel uh, by a guy named Mr. Beat, not Mr. Beast. Uh, he was way before Mr. Beast, but Mr. Beat it was a, a history and economics teacher. I think now he's a full-time YouTuber and he does wonderful little bite-sized videos and some long-form videos of just, um, you know, I don't want to say down the middle because that's such a buzz, buzzword, but just like, hey, here's what actually happened. Like, here's, mm-hmm. this led to this and this, and you know, the, the election 1912 is very important. And Woodrow Wilson affected a lot of things in a negative way going forward. And all this kind of, and, and, and you know, I love that side of history and that's what I'm affected. So to, to go back to your original question, I feel a little short change looking back mm-hmm. on what I was taught to. It was a little paint by numbers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's fascinating. And I always want to understand where other people are coming from because our experiences, you know, when we we're first taught history, I think help frame how we analyze this. And I had the absolute extremes of history. Um, I, I was part of the uh, IB program, the uh, international baccalaureate program, uh, which is this sort of organized, you know, not, not, uh, not advanced placement. It, it, it was just sort of like, you can get, you know, this international, in, you know, uh, baccalaureate extra diploma. And on a practical level, if you took tests and you passed and you scored well enough, you could skip some classes in college. Um, mm. uh, so I was really lucky to be a part of that at this uh, school I was at. So there, there were, you know, classes that were in, IB. And then there were the classes that were offered to all all the students. And it was a very, very mixed uh, school in every sense of people and economics and people who were brand new to the community and people who were like fourth generation attending this high school wanting tradition. So it was a real uh, soup uh, of lots of different perspectives. And and I I really like history. I was lucky to have... um, in the IB classes, specifically invited, encouraged to question and saying, this event happened. Now we want an essay of the social reasons that might have happened, the political reasons that might have happened, the financial reasons that might have happened, the cultural, like encouraged to look at it and analyze it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the IB was just starting up. So I ran out of those classes I could take and I had to take general history classes. Mm-hmm. And there was like this incredibly tired broken down teacher clearly just having a hard life would literally write on the board christopher columbus discovered america in blank and then he would fill it in 1492 and then he'd say write it down and then you'd write it down and then he'd say and all of our tests are open book so all he was trying to get people to do is write down the dates (laughs) yeah and you know so it was not great not great and then there was another teacher who became aware of what the IB history classes were and got angry about it. And he was like, I don't do that revisionist BS that your mm-hmm. other teacher does. Uh, mm-hmm. w- w- in this class, we know that Christopher Columbus discovered America, period. You know, yeah. in stuff that turned out to be uh, factually incorrect. Um, yeah. 
just so uh, those extremes of the rigid, this is the way it was. And we all know not just the events, but the narrative truth of them versus let's look at it from lots of different perspectives is it was so important to the way that I look at the world. Yeah. 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 We, you and I could probably do a separate history Force center podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm fascinated by this and, and the challenging of it and, and how I just finished uh, that, that four part a- Abraham Lincoln talk on, on Apple. I, I highly recommend that one where, you know, it does kind of challenge the notion of he's not necessarily the great emancipator. He's also not necessarily not. You have to actually, Engage with how he got there, why he got there, the compromises he was willing to make, some of the beliefs he had, and you and, 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 and you actually confirm some great things about him. And then you are challenged by some of the other notions because uh, just calling him this you know, great emancipator and, and he's the statue you go stand in front of, which, by the way, I have, and it is kind of moving. Uh, it, man, it really covers up a lot of stuff. And yeah. not on him, not on Lincoln, but just like you're really cleaning up that period of time. And yeah. it's just fascinating. And I think it's important and it's important. And, and Star Wars, going back to Star Wars, is something that by taking real world stuff, maybe it's a softer approach to analyzing real world histories that yeah. people might need. And I think I, at times in my life, probably needed that. Yeah, no, totally agree. I think often it can just be, history can be presented is this logical arc of like, well, there was a problem. So then this person came along and fixed it. And like, yeah, that happens sometimes, but mostly it's a messy, weird combination of strange human needs, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good and bad that lead to change, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. So with that background, uh, let's get into uh, this uh, question from our Star Wars loving history teacher about the the moments in Star Wars that sometimes uh, fire off uh, connections to real life history in our minds. Uh, where do you go? So I go, uh, I apologize, this, uh, go, it's not one particular moment, but I, I start with um, the High Republic. And I've, 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 again, I've said this before in the show, so to remix it, and I'll try to focus my comments a little bit here. But the High Republic for me is, is strongly connected to the post-war boom of America. And, and I don't mean to make it just America, American Central, uh, centralized. Uh, we have a lot of people all around the world listen to us. But for me, uh, I always say it's the Eisenhower building the freeways, which is a big generalization of that time and some of the stuff around that. But it is to me a, a country that appears to be in a time of peace post-war, though we have the Korean War and all that stuff there as well. Um, and it needs to be brought together a bit more. Uh, you know, the, the, reason, the reason I go to the freeways, you look at uh, Chancellor Lena So and her great works and, and, and you're trying to, the hyperspace routes aren't as solid, aren't as present. You know, it's harder to get around the galaxy. And, you know, that's, 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 that's America post-war. It, it, you know, the suburbs were growing, but it was, you know, it was different worlds and, and we were spread apart. And, and there's some this like, let's kind of connect, grow uh, and go big. And so it's this uh, supposed time of peace and a, and a big chance to get it right, right? From the late 40s to about 1968, which is a big year of upheaval. We have these, these great changes, a lot built from the idea of, like I said, connecting with uh, us, like making us stronger. But it doesn't necessarily quite work and it doesn't go smooth. And you have groups fighting a lot of change along the way. You have maybe, I don't know, maybe at times well-intentioned government not doing it all right. You have old wounds and perceptions that are not easily going away. And that breeds to something like the rise of the Nile. And, and I just have loved the Nile, particularly in the light of the Jedi and how they're presented at the beginning of, of I don't know, there's certain, to me, it's always been groups uh, connecting with real world groups with a lot of political overtones. But but uh, it's the play on those who feel disenfranchised and, and most likely aren't actually that because someone has taken their honest experiences and needs and problems and inflamed them and and infused fear into them and and pushed them forward in ways that are destructive to the society that's trying to grow in good ways. 
Uh, and those, those fires have absolutely been stoked by fear by the leaders grabbing for power. You look at Mark Ian Rowe, and now as you learn more about him. And I was haunted by the now, very much haunted by the now, especially in, in, in a post-January 6th world. Um, mm. And all that kind of connecting. And and how um, I, I, Eisenhower was, when I, as a kid, I had to do a book report on Eisenhower. And so I've always been fascinated by him. And he's a pretty interesting in, uh, character to, uh, as a president and as someone who was once courted by both the, the big parties at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and and again, I never believe any leader is perfect, but there's some good things happen. But you look back at the time, man, it's just easy to say some good things happen and you don't look at the whole picture. And I think all that, all that is present in the high republic. And they sold it as, as, as Camelot, not Camelot of King Arthur. We've said this before, but the Camelot days of, of Kennedy in the 60s in this brave new world, that all goes to bleep, right? And, and that's kind of what's happening to me in the Republic era, the outer rim, the outer rim versus the core world, which to me is just kind of also urban versus rural. Uh, it's uh, different needs and people trying to un- unite them all. Lena So has good intentions, but is it going well? Uh, and then when you are, I was reading, um, Charles Soule had a, had a great comment on the higher public of just, um, he says, I think we're seeing this now in the world we're living in, which is that disasters are large scale catastrophes that test systems. The way you can see the strength of a system, a government, a society of its tools against the scope and scale of that catastrophe is to throw a disaster at it. And that's kind of the beginning mm. of the that I, so that's just a big star Warsy way of just kind of analyzing this to me. There's a lot of other areas you can connect it, but it's, it's, it's America post-war for me post uh, world war two. Yeah, no, I, I agree with a lot of that. And I think there's a lot of that there. I think the high Republic to me is this amazing stew of 20th century <laughs> politics. Uh, but at least from our lens, uh, American politics in particular, yeah. I think for me, the way that Lena so has this ambitious agenda of, uh, of creating actual real physical things that will really physically make a difference, but are in the entirety of the, the package also pitching, a, a philosophy of connection, humanity, we're all in this together. Uh, it, the fact that she's kind of um, called them the great works always make me think of, you know, more rebuilding from the depression going into World War II and FDR's New Deal, right? Yep. To really say like, this is, this is changing the framework. And I'm telling you, it's changing the framework. I'm not making the argument that we're going back to the good old days, uh, which is so often the political argument. I'm making the argument that we all deserve better. Here's the new deal. Uh, here's yeah. the great works. Here's all the things we're going to do together. And it's going to put everybody to work and we're going to be in this together. Um, it, I think there are elements of that for me in the High Republic that I'm really fascinated by as well. And, mm-hmm. and I think have some rhythms with some of the the political perspectives uh, uh, being in arguments being made today of the, the this all can be better uh, mm-hmm. if we're not you know afraid of change if we're if we can trust each other and work together maybe some things should be different some things should be questioned so they could be made better um, all that kind of stuff is definitely there mm-hmm. um, I think uh, I think this is uh, being uh, discussed in in Stephen's question the number of different uh, sort of World War II influences in Star Wars but. Uh, one that's always really grabbed me and I'd love to see even more storytelling about. It's there in Bloodline. It's implied by the sequel trilogy. But there's this sort of policy of appeasement, you know, in the real world in the lead up to World War II, right? Of th- yeah. th- This can't be happening again. We called it the war to end all wars, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It can't be happening rally. again. It can't, it can't be the rallying of the saber of, of you know, <laughs> of, of the, the same country again. You know, obviously it's far more complicated than than just Germany yeah. and all that. 
Um, but just is a simple way of that. Like, we don't want to, we don't want this to happen again. We so don't want this to happen again that we are convincing ourselves it can't happen again. It won't happen again. And like treating Leia in, in bloodline is an alarmist and in a warmonger. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I respond to that. I think it's the reason that I respond. Uh, it's a different era and kind of a, a smaller version of that big picture can't happen again. So I'm just going to say, la la la, it's not happening again. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's why I love Nor Jabel so much in the rogue one scene where he said death star, it's nonsense, right? It's this desire to not have that ugly and awful of a fight in, in front of you. Mm-hmm. So you just deny that it's even happening. And, and, um, I think that has happened with some of the rise in just hatred that that mm-hmm. we're seeing now in, mm-hmm. you know, refreshed, uh, uh, reinvigorated, exposed uh, anti-Semitism and uh, violence against anybody who is perceived as being different in any way. The, the amount of laws and physical attacks on LGBTQ plus people, right? You know, and, and when that was simmering in some of the language that was being used, um, by Trump, uh, mm-hmm. there was a real like, yeah, d- 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 don't don't exaggerate, don't exaggerate. He's just a showman. He's just he's just talking tough. Don't 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 exaggerate. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's there's strains of that uh, in, in a lot of Star Wars storytelling as well. I think of that Mon Mothma conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, and as we always say, you know, we uh, we want to be respectful uh, that that politics is sometimes not the most uh, fun conversation, but we also want to be respectful that uh, Star Wars is political. Uh, so acknowledging that uh, the other the other one uh, that is not for me a one specific story, but it's this general story of the 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 true horror on a galactic scale of the Empire. Right, we've got the the personal uh, Palpatine is you know an evil wizard uh, out of you know fantasy. Um, cackling and, and shooting lightning from his danger fingers and all the things that he represents personally for Vader and for Luke. But the true evil of the Empire is that uh, they uh, take over uh, everyone's... They take everything, right? And yeah. specifically the resource game that I think has been highlighted mm-hmm. so well in um, in the sequel trilogy, in The Bad Batch right now, in Solo... Um, that idea of we can come and decimate your culture and society because you have something that we want for our own personal and financial gain. Um, I think, you know, the backstory of Rose Tico in hey of her plan of Hayes minor, I think Kenobi's reflections on what Mapuzo used to be like, um, but in particular Aldani, right. To see that this specific space <laughs> is so meaningful to this culture and it is being systematically destroyed. Um, I think for me, I have a, um, what I think about a lot is I, I worked at this great, uh, museum in Minneapolis for several years called Mill City Museum. It's on the banks of the Mississippi river on the, the waterfall, St. Anthony falls, uh, that was known by Europeans forever not forever, uh, but uh, from when it had been reported called St. Anthony Falls because of the, the person who first noted it and called it that. Obviously, uh, the people who lived there called it something else. Um, but for years and years, there was this like, who who among the, the rich and elite of eastern United States is going to make it out there to this falls because it's valuable, it's power, we can make money off of it. And the reason Minneapolis exists where it does is because uh, this guy named Franklin Steele 
who was kind of this charming uh, son of wealthy people who was kind of going out into the wilderness to try to stake his claim, uh, was the one who successfully staked the claim and uh, then was able to sell all the riparian rights, the water power rights, and the flour mills grew up there. And that's why Minneapolis exists. And mm-hmm. you can look at it as just like, it, it's such complex history, right? Of mm-hmm. uh, in the the museum tells all the history and from all the different perspectives. That's where uh, that's where uh, Betty Crocker and the Pillsbury Doughboy were born, literally. Um, not they weren't literally mm-hmm. physically born, but the, that's where Pillsbury and <laughs> <laughs> uh, in, in the company that becomes General Mills, the Washburn Crosby mm-hmm. Company, all start there. So there's just so much history. There's so much perspective, but at the end of the day, almost all of it is because somebody else came and said this spot. Mm-hmm. has physical power and it can give us power and we're going to take it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With disdain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, we've gone lots of interesting places, uh, here on our, our cues of the force, uh, episode, uh, but a great, great start, uh, thought starter from Steven. Do you have any other thoughts, Ken? No, I know it's, uh, it is, uh, it is wonderfully complicated. I also think it's part of what is, uh, bit of the great divide that's going on. I think a lot of friends in my current generation were Gen X, but a lot of us are not talking to their parents as much. And a lot of it I find comes at, uh, well, a lot of things you put taught, taught us believed everything are not what they all seem, seem to be at the time. And, and, and that's, there's a great divide versus just, uh, you think one thing and I think another, uh, that's where a lot of tension is popping up, I think. And yeah. so it's valuable and the history is so valuable in that regard. Yeah. Yep, and uh, yeah, I think it's important to uh, to be studied from and analyzed and discussed from multiple perspectives. Uh, okay. So you can, yeah, and that's and that's this is so much baked into Star Wars too. Of like, look to the past uh, so you can figure out what you want the present to be, so you can make an mm-hmm. active choice. Yep, yep. Uh, all right, thank you uh, for the great question, Stephen. We're going to move on to our final question from Justin Jacobson. This is another heavy political question. No, it's not. It's a fun question. Uh, Justin says, Bright sons, Ken and Joseph, in the first season of The Bad Batch, the family rescues and befriends the baby rancor named Moochie on one of their jobs. What weird and wonderful creature would you like to see them connect with in the new season? Poor Gullet would be appropriate since he is bored <laughs> with the imperial impression but the galaxy is so full of fun and fantastical fauna i would like to, them to adopt a bantha and name him bantha fet <laughs> and i would love to hear what you would like to see all right ken what do you want to see uh i have a very serious question here uh no it's a great one just um bring back a dino a dinoga but have omega connect with it a little bit i i, I that that from a certain point of view story is it's fascinating, but also not my favorite at the same time. Complicated feelings about it, but I love it in, in one regard. Um, and and that Dianoga in in the trash compactor connecting with Luke, even though Luke doesn't really know what's going on. Um, I would love that with uh, Omega. It doesn't have to be around the Force. I'm just saying, just like she, of course, would be the one to see see it as a creature, not as a trash dweller. Yeah. Yeah, no, and yeah, I'd really spend some time with them would be great and mm-hmm. see the full body on screen. Gotcha. <laughs> and also just hear Omega say Dianoga in that wonderful action. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah, so there's, uh, that, I have a couple of choices. That, that'd be one of my, that's my first gut reaction. Yeah, my I got two choices, so I'll share my first one and we'll kick it back to you. My, my favorite uh, selection, I think, is a possibility. I think there's a glimmer of hope. I believe that there's a possibility it's been glimpsed in the trailer. For Bad Batch season two, uh, but that is Zillow Beast, yes. man. 
those episodes of Clone Wars are so great. Getting into the the heart of the the giant monster King Kong kaiju uh, storytelling and everything that it can mean, and had that great cliffhanger of Palpatine gonna figure out its power and see how it can be used. Man, uh, it, it fits thematically so well for Bad Batch of you know another creature another being who's been you know manipulated for the empire's youth and maybe mm-hmm. maybe uh, thrown away uh so man i'd love to see that i'm right there with you i wrote down save the zillow beast it absolutely <laughs> connects uh, uh um thematically right with what happened uh there palpatine and everything and that it would make a lot of sense uh so that's a big one um going a little smaller scale i'm gonna face old wounds that i have and I want Wrecker to adopt a puffer pig that he names Poof. <laughs> work through some things and get to appreciate those puffer puffer pigs even more than I used. Yeah, no, I, I can see uh, w- w- with uh, absolute blessing of the puffer pig, a Wrecker like uh, tying you know a, a belt around a, a puffer pig and then being like Poof, and then diving out of a ship and floating like a balloon, like violent Mary Poppins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you when you poke it, it, it poofs up, and having to poof. Yeah. Oh, I would love that. Uh, watching those puffer big episodes again in uh, my Rebels rewatch, they're bonkers, and I really like them. Yeah. yeah so there you go. Those are my choices. Uh, my final choice is a Varactyl. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I really, really like the design of the Varactyls. I, I like Boga in particular. I love that they're the lizards with a little bit of a feathery plumage. I love their absolutely bizarre uh, sound design. I love the way they've been built out in uh, the publishing side of Star Wars canon as they are excellent uh, racers and that you can really make a bond with them and respect them, all that things. Uh, I think they'd be my answer uh, to any question of anywhere in Star Wars, Mandalorian, wherever else you you want uh, a a known creature to pop back up again, I'd be like, Vractal. But at the risk of making everything too interconnected. Can you imagine? If the, the Bad Batch go on a mission and find a a wounded but surviving Bractal named Boga, mm. and Boga becomes part of the Bad Batch crew, and then eventually uh, they hook up uh, with Cody after he has deserted the Empire and realized what he did was wrong, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, reconnects with uh, the Bractal he cruelly shot down. I love this. That'd be that'd be that'd be a deep and emotional episode. Wait, what's this <laughs> fractal's name? Not Boga. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That's touching. Uh, I'm both uh, joking and serious. Probably a little too interconnected, <laughs> but I would love that if Boga survived. What's your animal's name? Mine's Poof. Yeah, <laughs> it's Boga. <laughs> yeah so great great question on the animals that we would like to see that's it for our questions but we do have a power of the light side entry we put a post out uh, for patrons on patreon asking them to share something that they love about star wars or a positive experience uh we have another thoughtful essay it is a little on the longer side which is fine with us but we want to let listeners know to buckle up uh here we go you ready ken yes sir This comes to us from Jared Kozal. Jared says, One of the greatest lessons I've taken from Star Wars has been the power of keeping a clear and open mind. Last month, with the anniversaries of The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, and The Rise of Skywalker, I found myself reflecting on how my relationship with those three movies, all of which I dearly love, has evolved since I first started to engage with them. 
and specifically the character of Rey. In the lead up to The Force Awakens, there was great emphasis in the marketing on the films returning to the tone and style of the original trilogy. While I was excited, I also found myself apprehensive and defensive because I'm ultimately, in my heart, a prequel kid. As such, anytime I encountered a fan whose anticipation for the sequel trilogy seemed to focus on how much not like the prequels it was, my own enthusiasm, unfortunately, and irrationally darkened. Remember most clearly listening to a now-defunct Star Wars podcast, Far, Far Away Radio, that was reviewing the second The Force Awakens trailer ending with Chewie, We're Home. It remains a great trailer, but it's notable that none of the new main characters, Ray, Finn, or Poe, have any dialogue in it. It's mostly images and vibes. As I was listening to the podcast, one of the hosts voiced the following opinion. I know we haven't seen much of her yet, but Ray is already one of my favorite characters in Star Wars. Their opinion was voiced honestly, with a spirit of sincere excitement, but when I heard that, I'm ashamed to say my eyes rolled so far back into my head, I thought they'd stay there. How could Ray already be someone's favorite character, I thought cynically. We haven't even heard her speak yet. In my entrenched mindset, it seemed another performative celebration of the old is new again tone in a dig at the prequels. It was my mind focused on the darkness instead of the light. Still, I remained cautiously excited for The Force Awakens, and I was there on opening night like everyone else. Right before I settled into my seat, I thought about that arms-folded response I'd had to that trailer reaction and made a choice that on first viewing, I did not want to have that be my experience. So consciously, and with some effort, I set aside all my fears and my resentments over the back to the originals marketing and perceived insults like the aforementioned podcast and promised myself I would keep an open mind and heart to whatever awaited me. And lo and behold, I fell in love. And the moment that fully captured my heart, the beautiful, wordless introduction of Ray, accompanied by John Williams' instantly iconic theme. I was enthralled by this scrappy scavenger, eking out a lonely and repetitive existence amid the ruins of the past while hoping for something more, but fearing to go out and seek it. It was one of the best pieces of visual storytelling I'd ever seen. I was all in on Ray as a character, and I hadn't even heard her speak yet. Of course, Ray goes on to speak plenty during the sequel trilogy. She finds more than her voice. She finds her power, her peace, her purpose, and her family. I won't recount her entire emotional journey here. We've all seen the movies, but I will say that every beat of it felt true and honest and earned to me and resonated with me powerfully, whether it was all planned out or not. And when she speaks her final words in the saga, for now, taking her name as Ray Skywalker, my smile was wide, my eyes were full of tears, and my heart was full. I felt I had just experienced true catharsis and I left the theater deeply satisfied. And as I was driving home reflecting on the movie and the entire trilogy, I found myself unbidden thinking about that podcast and the person who had declared before the movie was even released that Ray was already one of their favorite characters. And I couldn't help but enjoy a good laugh at myself. Here I was, almost five years later, ready to declare that Ray Skywalker had become my favorite character in all of Star Wars. And to think that if I'd kept my heart locked away in fear and resentment when I sat down to watch The Force Awakens for the first time, I might never have allowed myself to embrace a character in a story that has given me so much inspiration and joy. And with that, a fresh wave of gratitude washed over me, and that smile and those tears returned. So, unnamed podcast host, wherever you are, I owe you an apology. Always in motion is the future, but you saw the light on the horizon that at the time I did not want to see. Whether or not Ray lived up to your hopes and you ultimately found her journey as powerful or meaningful as I did, I hope you're still keeping your heart and mind open to new stories and characters in the galaxy far, far away. Beyond those twin suns, someone's new favorite character is waiting to start their journey. And if you're ready to risk taking your first step into a larger world with them, that someone just might be you. 
Well said, Jared. Official Star Wars Force Center t-shirt. Well said. That is a, a great journey and a great demonstration of uh, of what we, we I think, uh, kind of discovered and talk about for ourselves here of trying to make sure that we are approaching things open in an open way and realizing that we are taking some of ourself and our energy into every story we watch. Ken, what are your thoughts? This is a, a wonderful uh, little essay here, Jared. Uh, little, it was, it was epic. It was grand. And, and it captures a lot of uh, where my heart is right now in Star Wars and has been since 2015. And, and you know, leading up to, to Force Awakens, I, I don't think Jared's wrong, actually. I, I, I think I was part of the people uh, saying, finally, move away from that prequel look. Am I right? Am I right? And and I didn't mean it to be uh, harmful, but that, that is, it is. It is. I think the prequel generation has uh, gained a louder voice in the last few years. And I, I, Jared's starting point, I understand that defensiveness. Uh, that's something that I think I even battle these days, you know, the Andor discourse and everything where I found myself ready to attack something I loved, which is the Andor show, because I was so defensive of other things. So I get that. And that's a starting point. But yeah, when you open up your heart, you open up your heart to the journey. Ray's a great character. It was as important, uh, a great example as a character and is a great character. Uh, it was part of my starting point too, where, where I always kind of described it where, Ray for me was one of the first times where I didn't look as at the character as like a contemporary or a colleague, right? Like mm-hmm. she was someone I uh, I felt protective of, and I engaged with her journey in a different way. And that doesn't happen if I sit there with my arms folded in the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it would be my inter- interaction with that character would be a lot different if I was just like, ain't, ain't for me. Uh, and and when when the point is. It ain't for me. And and I think I'm with you, Jared, on, on on that. And then also, the other point being, when you're open to it and you follow that journey that's maybe designed for someone else, you do discover a lot of stuff that is for you. You've always said, Joseph, I want to grow up and be like Ray. I think mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a great way to look at the character. And there's so many other characters that you can find that with in the, in the sequel era, not just the, the trilogy, but the era. Yeah, no, I really agree with you, and I really agree with uh, this great essay by Jared. I I think it's a it's a fun you know footnote in the entire history of Star Wars and our relationship with it. You know, like I, I just rewatched um, the Kenobi series, and part of it of my joy of that is just celebrating that it exists and that we live in a world where this uh, kind of direct sequel to the prequels, you know, mm-hmm. and Obi Wan and Anakin, you know being together again and that being a thing that is celebrated uh it it still feels like a gift to me because uh around the time of the force awakens it it was a little bit in the marketing right of Mm -hmm. x-wings are back uh you know tie fighters are back um the the original three are back which is great a huge amount of uh, uh uh of presentation of you know models and puppets are back not all this cgi right yeah and it really was a little bit of you know i i was fully on board and vocally you know loving the prequels by then and even i was like yeah i grew up with the original trilogy could you stop yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh you know uh basically you know those subtweeting uh the prequels please in your advertising yeah. um and I understand exactly what, what Jared's saying. It's an interesting footnote in Star Wars history, and I'm glad that the prequels have been embraced. Mm-hmm. In fact, a quick quick funny story from Disneyland. Uh, I kept seeing uh, young people with Obi-Wan and Anakin t-shirts, uh, just mm-hmm. celebrating Obi-Wan and Anakin. Uh, and 
a, a woman walked by with a great Obi-Wan and Anakin shirt. And I went, ooh. <laughs> and my wife was like, I know that you're making that noise about the shirt, but maybe don't look at people and go <laughs> ooh out loud. Because I know it's about the t-shirt. <laughs> but you might accidentally look creepy. I was like, oh, wow. I didn't even know I made the noise out loud. I'm so sorry. You're Steve Martin and Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Nice. No, no, no. <laughs> Not what I meant at all. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it, the 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 gift of going in with your arms open is mm-hmm. is so wonderful because then you find what's what's there for you. And hey, if the thing doesn't work, great, that's fine. Uh, but deciding ahead of time that it doesn't work is just to me mm-hmm. uh, letting cutting off a path to joy uh, from yourself. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, yeah. And uh, also uh, very much agreed on all things Ray. I think she's a great character and I think her arc across uh, the films is is really clear and really, really moving uh, to me. Yeah. All right, Ken, any more thoughts before we wrap up? No, great stuff. Wonderful share. We appreciate that, Jared. Excellent. Uh, and as always, I feel the need to to give the caveats when we get uh, more explicitly uh, political that, hey, uh, I know that's not for everyone, but sometimes it is uh, going to happen. And uh, and we, we need to uh, be willing to embrace that, embrace Star Wars as a political thing and talk more openly about it from time to time. Uh, with that said, Ken, where can people find us? You can find us on Twitter at Force Center Pod. We're on Hive Social at Force Center. We're on our Facebook page as well at Force Center Podcast. We're available on, um, oh, we're also Instagram and YouTube, as you know. A podcast available all over the place. Just search to find us, but you can find us on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, among other spots. Merch available at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. And you can support us directly at patreon.com slash Force Center. From there, you can get into our Discord where uh, Jared's there. A lot of folks are there sharing stories like these, connecting and celebrating and also, you know, questioning parts of it uh, to find what's there for you and everything. It's a great, wonderful community, a Star Wars uh, 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 pleasant discourse. So check <laughs> it out for our Patreon page. Follow me at Ken Napsuck. Or go to my website, KenNapsuck.com for more, for things like my music show, Pop Rock and Radio, or my podcast, The Blathering, where if I said anything today that offended you, maybe don't listen to that one. Uh, uh, but if you like it, head on over to The Blathering on the Napsuck Network. Joseph, you. Yeah, you can find me on all the social media, Instagram in particular. I would love to find some more friends over on Instagram, but I'm also still on uh, Twitter, uh, on uh, TikTok, all sorts of places. Handle at Joseph Scrimshaw. And of course, you can go and find me on YouTube. I'm going to be putting more stuff there soon. So you can search for Joseph Scrimshaw on YouTube. But for now, for myself, for Ken, for our lightsabers with names, this has been Cues of the Force. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.